ओम नमो भगवते श्री अरुणाचल रमनाय माइकल आई हैव आई सेंट यू अ लिस्ट ऑफ क्वेश्चंस एंड आई वाज होपिंग डिपेंडिंग अपॉन द टाइम दैट यू हैव दैट वी कुड प्रोबेबली गो इनटू सम डेप्थ इनटू इनटू देम राइट एंड यू नो टू द एक्सटेंट दैट वी कैन कवर आई वुड बी ग्रेटफुल फॉर दैट सो राइट सम आई एम जस्ट गोना रीड आउट द फर्स्ट क्वेश्चन and this pertains to um uh you know the the destruction of the ego the one ego right, right. and the one one instrument uh, which is the mind the one mind yes. for all living forms mm. um and the impact of that on the world so the question is this the appearance and disappearance of the world through the ego the one mind um that sees the many uh, the myriad forms and is one of the instruments of the ego mm, why is it that the awakening within a gnani uh, one gnani or so many gnanis that have uh, been on this on this planet for since time immemorial why is it that um, it hasn't destroyed this one mind uh, for everyone in the illusion and dream and the follow up to that is when will the world disappear completely for everyone in uh, each one of these egoic forms and do each one of us have to awaken independently okay um to answer this adequately we need to clearly we need to consider and clearly understand what bhagavan means when he says there's one ego this is best understood um with the illustration of dream in a dream there are obviously many people in a dream but there's only one dreamer but one dreamer dreams itself to be a person in the dream so the dreamer is not the person we see ourselves to be in the dream but we who are seeing ourselves as that person in other words the dreamer is ego right because we ego take ourselves to be a person and we see so many people who are who appear to be just like us we take every person to be an ego mm-hmm. so there seem to be a multiplicity of egos and in effect so long as we're looking outwards um we we have to act as if there are many egos as if mm-hmm. every person is an ego someone um i mean because it all appearances all the other people in this world not only human people but also other animals um who are also people but just in different forms the cows and dogs and cats and horses and elephants and all these creatures they all have seem to be operating in this world in much the same way we are they they're seeing it through the five senses uh, perceiving it through the five senses and they're operating this world so there seem to be a multiplicity of jivas but in whose view do all those many jivas appear those many egos in whose view do they appear they it's appear in the, in the one ego. the view of the one ego who is dreaming all this yeah. and as i say that one the dreamer is not the person it seems to be that is we are dreaming we mistake ourselves to be a person but this person is part of the dream 
Mm -hmm. So the person is not the dreamer, the dream, the ego is the dreamer. Mm -hmm. When ego wakes up from its dream, in other words, when we wake up from our, from a dream, are we concerned about the people who remain in the dream? Or what about all our friends and our relatives in the dream? Have they also woken up? No, no we, we don't. Are, we don't, right. In exactly the same way, when we, the one ego, wake up, the, the, this dream world ceases to exist and all the dream people in it cease to exist. So you've asked about jnanis. What do you mean by jnani? When people talk about jnanis, they generally take talk about a person who they take to be, to use a modern term, self-realized. In other words, mm -hmm. a person who has attained jnana. Such a jnani is a fiction. There is no such thing. That is, it is not any person who can, who, who can, as a per, the person is jada. The person is just the five sheaves. And as Bhagavan <laughs> says, all the five sheaves are jada. So the person cannot realize anything. The ego that mistakes itself to be that person also cannot realize it, anything. Because that ego is a false awareness of ourself. We seem to be ego only when we're aware of ourselves as I am this body. I am such and such a person. It may not always be the same person. In this dream, we dream ourselves to be um, Indira or Michael. In some other dream, we may uh, dream ourselves to be some other person. We, well, we surely will dream ourselves to be some other person. But okay. the, the ego that mistakes itself to be this person is the same. But ego, ego cannot rise or stand without grasping the form of a body as itself. Body here means all the five sheaves, so in other words, the entire person. So, since ego is a false awareness of ourself, as ego, we can never know ourselves as we actually are. Because when we know ourselves as we actually are, we cease to be ego. So, the jnani, as Bhagavan said, jnana me jnani. The jnana, jnana alone is the jnani. Because what does jnana mean? Jnana means pure awareness. Jnani means the what, what knows pure awareness. What can know pure awareness other than pure awareness? Pure awareness cannot be known by anything other than itself because it cannot be an object of awareness. <laughs> so the Jnani is not the person. The Jnani is pure awareness. So, so that the, the Jnana can never become a person. However, in the view of the Agnani, named the ego, the jnani appears to become a person, like the jnana, the jnana which is ever shiny in our heart as our own being, I am, is what has appeared outside in the name and form of Bhagavan in order to tell us to turn within. So we say Bhagavan is a jnani, but we are taking the person Bhagavan seems to be to be the jnani. He is not that person. He is jnana itself. So, uh, he has appeared in, in the dream of the one ego in order to wake that one ego up. Yes, uh, so, <clears throat> Michael, I understand so to, that, but to, I, I so, still... So, just yeah. part of the story of, of, of Bhagavan's life is that he, at the age of 16, he had a fear of death and mm -hmm. he was awakened. 
But that's all, all that is true only in our perspective. Right. So to, to say, oh, Bhagavan has woken up, why haven't we woken up, is meaningless. Because the, the Bhagavan who we say has woken up is actually ever awake. So it's not a matter of waking up. It's we who are sleeping. We have to wake up. We are sleeping in the sleep of I understand. I'm still unclear, uh, Michael. Sorry. Um, so my, my question is really related to the destruction of this one ego, right? If there is just yes. this one ego that is pervading this world and the awakening within one jnani, which I understand is, is just this, not a person, which is, you know, jnana itself, mm. which is one. Um, why is it there is uh, no, so when you say that ego has been destroyed due to the awakening of that one jnani, what does that mean, right? What does that mean? Is Because if there is just one ego, why is it, why does it rise again and dreams another dream okay. into many forms? So, uh, you know, I'm not yeah, getting okay. that I, I'll try. It. I'll try and clarify <laughs> okay. some more. Um, okay. Awakening is meaningful only if you're asleep. Right. Banyani is eternally awake. So there's no such thing as a jnani awakening. Because banyani is jnana itself, and jnana is eternally awake. What is asleep is ego. If, right, this, uh, one, if this one ego wakes up, uh -huh. then it will be seen there never was any ego, never was any world, never was any multiplicity of jivas. Never was any jnanis or agnanis. There is only jnana itself, and we are that. Sometimes Bhagavan used to say, when people people love to talk about, speculate about, is this person a jnani, is that person right. a jnani? So sometimes when there was such talk in Bhagavan's hall, sometimes people would ask Bhagavan, Bhagavan, is such and such a person a jnani? thinking that Bhagavan can give a final verdict. And right. Bhagavan would often reply, there is only one jnani. You are that. See yourself. And and the appearance of the one jnani in, in this illusory world that we are in, right? Yes. To remind but, us to wake but, up. But one jnani is not an appearance. You are the one jnani. Your own reality is that one jnani. That our own reality appears outside in the form of Bhagavan to tell us that the jnana we are seeking is within us. We ourselves are that. As he says in verse 13 of Uludunaptu, jnana mam tane me, oneself who is jnana alone is real. So there so are no... The awakening, so say for example, say if me as I experience myself as this ego currently, yes. as this person that I take myself to be. And say, <clears throat> if I awaken, um, then then there is, I understand how that there is, there is the cessation of the world, right? Completely yes. for that. Yes. But then this, going back to your early question is, do you, you know, care about the others in the dream, <clears throat> right? So, yes, I mean, I guess the dream doesn't exist once I wake up. Uh, and yet, there seems to be the repetition of these dreams for, for, the, for the life forms, you know, as we 
as we see in our you know so many reincarnations i i, I guess i'm still not being very clear about that uh, michael that, that um, is your your and, and you're still not <clears throat> thinking deeply enough about it that is when it is said that you are the one ego who is dreaming all this so everything you see this world full of so many nyanis and agnyanis all exist only in your view so the right, multiplicity of agnyanis and the multiplicity mm. of nyanis all will right. cease to exist when you wake up you alone will remain not okay. you as ego but you as right. you always actually are okay okay yeah i i guess yeah i guess i i need to you know uh, yeah get Bhagavad, that model very deeply yeah. into Bhagavad's and i've heard Bhagavad's i've heard you explain this so many times so sorry yes. michael yeah. yeah so yeah i still need to observe yeah. that and fully understand that yes yeah that is bhagavan's <laughs> teachings are extremely simple but in order to to um to fully imbibe them we need to be ready to wipe our mind clean remove all our former ideas preconceptions and everything and then only his teachings will make a deep impression on us and we'll be able to view it from the perspective from which he is talking for example just take one verse of uludunapdu verse 26 ahandayundayin anaitamundahum if ego comes into existence everything yeah. comes into existence a hande indrail indruanatum if ego doesn't exist everything doesn't exist a hande yabamam ego itself is everything adalal yaduidu endru nadale overdal yabamenao therefore know that investigating what it is is giving up everything that is if we investigate ego ego will cease to exist and everything else will cease to exist along with it if we if we think about that carefully that is an extremely radical teaching and that answers this question of yours perfectly okay that is okay so long as we rise as ego we we are we we as ego are obscuring the nyana but alone exists the mm-hmm. nyana but right. we actually are okay so seeing others as nyanis is not seeing them as nyanis at all because the nyani can never be other the right. nyani is our own reality That's, okay 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 i think that thing that is uh, that is making it clear okay all right um thanks michael um i kind of want so to move regarding on. the, the the title you gave this question the appearance yes. and the disappearance of the world through the mind mm-hmm. the world appears when we rise as ego disappears when we uh, subside uh, as bhagavan says in the last paragraph of um of nana tanerandal saklomayram tan adanginal saklomadangam something right. that effect right it's so similar to- if if what he refers to as oneself there is obviously ego if oneself right. arises everything arises if oneself subsides everything subsides okay okay all right thank you michael um so there's only so, one problem that one problem is ourself ego ourself ego yeah and there's only one solution to this problem we are self of a problem we are self of a solution 
right, right, right. I Seeing ourselves I... as anything other than pure awareness is the problem. Seeing ourselves as the pure awareness that we actually are is the solution. It's right. as simple as that. Okay, okay. I will I will reflect on that a little bit more, um, and 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 I think I will. I I think I will see the light of day for sure. <laughs> Thank you. But to get clarity in all these things, we have to remember the real clarity cannot come from the words. The words point us in the right direction, but the real clarity can come only to the extent to which we look within. Because the, the original light, the light that illumines the mind, enabling the mind to see out, know everything else, that is the light of pure awareness that is always shining in our heart as our own being, I am. So by turning our attention within to face that, we are, so to speak, bathing ourselves in clarity. So the more we look within, the deeper we go within, the clearer all these things will become. Sure. Yes. Yes. Yes, Michael. Um, okay. Thank you. Um, I have kind of want to move to the next question that has been unclear for me. And you, you, this is <laughs> pertaining to uh, both, you know, vasanas and samsaras, samskaras, sorry, and what the essential difference uh, is between them. So as I understand from Bhagavan's teachings um, and what you have been explaining, is that vasanas are seeds of our former actions. So when they bear fruit and ripen, um, they when they ripen and bear fruit, as is in the case of the prarabdha karma, they dissipate through through action. Is that correct? Not quite. Okay. That is, vasanas are the seeds. Mm-hmm. Those seeds are are what give rise to action. That is, the seeds are the inclinations. They are the seeds that give rise to likes, dislikes, desires, attachments, which lead us to do actions. The actions then bear fruit. The action, oh, the actions bear fruit. And the, the, the vasanas, do, do they then dissipate through the action? No, no. Okay. What dissipates, um, Bhagavan says very clearly in the second verse of Upadesha Undia, vinayim vilevu vilevutru. That is the fruit of action perishing, passing away, ceasing. It's as seeds that we are thrown into the action. That is, it's the seeds that prompt us to do more and more actions. So when a, when a fruit is when any the fruit of a past karma is experienced, it ceases to exist. But the seeds remain. I see, right. The seeds, okay. the seeds of the basanas. We need to understand the nature of the basanas to understand how to dissipate them. That is, the nature of basanas, they're our own inclination. Basanas have no strength of their own. They derive their strength from us. How they gain strength is the more we allow ourselves to be swayed by any particular vasana, the stronger that vasana becomes. And swaying but, means giving uh, into them, yeah, in, allowing and, into the to action, be, allowing ourselves that. to be swayed by them, to be moved by them, to be right. contr- um, so every 
every movement of our mind is under the sway of vishaya vasanas. Right, right. So, so in order to get to, a... in order to avoid being swayed by any vishaya vasana whatsoever, we have to cling to self attentiveness. To the extent to which we cling to self-attentiveness, we are thereby not allowing ourselves to be swayed by Vishaya Vasanas. So, just as Vishaya Vasanas gain their strength by us allowing ourselves to be swayed by them, they lose their strength by our not allowing ourselves to be swayed by right, them. Right. So, that eventual destruction is only through sustained self-attention. Yes, yes. Right. So it's not, I mean, I was trying to get a, a simple metaphor that we, you know, we experience in our day-to-day -day living. So for example, say if I have a vasana of a chocolate, for example, yes, and, uh, you know, what what you experience is, you know, if you eat a lot of chocolate, right, and, and you say, hey, okay, I, at some point I'm, I'm done with it, right? So I, yeah. I experience the dissipation of that vasana over time. So hence my question about it doesn't quite work it doesn't quite work like that that right. is if you've got a, a an inclination that an inclination means a vasana if you've got yeah. an inclination to eat chocolate every time that inclination arises in your mind you can either act on that inclination and eat chocolate or you can refrain from acting on it if you act on it you are thereby strengthening the inclination. If every time a thought of chocolate comes to your mind, if you eat chocolate, that vasana is going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. If you, But you may reach a point where you find eating so much chocolate is making you sick. Exactly. So yeah. you also have an inclination to maintain your health and to feel well. Right. So when you find that this... this excessive eating of chocolate is making you sick and making you feel unwell you get a you get another vasana another inclination ah, right. to to resist that so there's then a battle between two inclinations right on one right, hand right. or just one more chocolate why not just one more now and the other yeah. no no let me not so this is that is bhagavan when bhagavan talks about vasanas in nana he says Tondru Tottu Varu Kindra Vishaya Vasanaigal Kadalalepol Alavachuvanai Erum. That is, though they rise like countless numbers, uh, uh, sorry, in countless numbers like ocean waves, they will all be destroyed as, uh, as Swarupa Dhyana increases. So there he's saying they are constantly rising. They're. Uh, Every movement of our mind is under the sway of Vishaya Vasanas. So Vasanas are constantly pulling our mind in all sorts of directions. So where does freedom of will lie? Freedom of will lies in the fact that if the Vasanas make up our will, but the freedom we have is we are free either to be swayed by any particular Vasana or not to be swayed by it. The inclination to eat chocolate arises in your mind. <laughs> Whether you allow yourself to be swayed by that or not, you have that freedom. So let me ask you a quick question here. So the so in my just ordinary experience of yeah. suddenly developing a distaste for chocolate, and I yes. see that as saying, "Oh, I've detached from chocolate," yeah. and and so my you know so my vasana has mm. ended. But it, it well, that's not true. 
It hasn't necessarily ended. It's just but the contrary vast. Yes. uh, So I have latched on to uh, an aversion for that. Yes. And hence substituted that for, uh, like you said, an inclination to to just not impact my health negatively. Yes. So I see what you're saying. So it's, it's also relating to Bhagavan's teachings about, I guess, the tendency of the ego to latch on from one form to another. I guess yes. vasanas have a similar tendency. That, that is vasana. That, that is, is vasana. Bhagavan says, for example, in um, in in verse twenty five of Uludunaptu, he describes uh, ego as uruvatrapeya hande, the formless phantom or evil spirit ego. So it's formless. It's uruvatra. But how does it come into existence and stand? He says, Urupatriundam, grasping form, it comes into existence. Grasping form, it stands. Urupatriundu mika ongum, grasping and feeding on forms, it flourishes abundantly. Uruvitu urupatrum, leaving form, it grasps form. So the very, what, what we have to understand from that is the very nature of ego is grasping form. And whatever whatever forms it grasps, things other than itself, because it itself is formless. So any form it grasps is something other than itself. In other words, what he refers to there as Uru, form, is Vishayas. Right. So the, the, it, it is the, ego is not a Vishaya Vasana, but the very nature of ego is to have Vishaya Vasanas. Right. So, because we cannot survive without clinging to form, we as ego cannot survive. So we have naturally have very strong inclination to cling to some form or other. And hence, vasanas are the ego's attributes that allows it to do that. Even even if, supposing, even if we find ourselves in hell, we we are undergoing whether hell in some other world or hell in this world. Supposing we're in a hell-like situation in life. Yeah. Everything seems to be against us. So life is our body is racked with disease and so many things. Um, life is hell. But are we ready to let go? No, we're still not ready to let go because our desire to survive makes us willing to undergo any amount of hell rather than yeah. to let go. So, yeah. so dense is our agnana, our viveka. Yeah. So yeah, I, I understand. Uh, um, so I guess there was there is no point in kind of just getting seeing a mental account of you know what vasanas I seem to have let go or you know detach so detachments. So I guess the ultimate solution is just you know constantly turning within and uh, you know giving way to destruction of the seed of the vasana. Correct. The, the I mean, vasanas are the seeds. The vasanas are the seeds. The vasan, the, the seeds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, the, and the, the, yeah, ooh, that is, we can, if if we're trying to rectify vasanas, like we've got a bad habit eating chocolate, we want right. to rectify that. We have to try to resist that. Um, whenever the inclination rises, we try and we try and uh, avoid being swayed by it. In this way, we can try and deal with one by one, but then. Instead of we, we are replacing the vasana to eat chocolate, in other words, the vasana for self-indulgence, we're replacing with another vasana. I should be healthy. I shouldn't exactly. feel sick. 
Or um, I should not uh, eat chocolate. Right? Yeah, yeah. The, all too. these are vasanas. So the yeah. vasanas are constantly uh, ebbing and flowing. So right. there, there, there's no there's no constancy there. But when we but the trouble is when we we replace one vasana with another vasana. Suppose we've got some bad vasanas or super vasanas. Yeah. We can try and replace them with super vasanas. Yeah. Good. But even the subhavasanas are still bondage because right. any vasana that draws our attention away from ourselves is a vishaya vasana. And vishaya vasanas are seeds that give rise to, to action of mind, speech, and body. And the whole, uh, as Bhagavan says, kriti mahodado, patanakaranam. What is that? In the Sanskrit verse, he doesn't say what is the cause for. Um, falling in that gross ocean of action. But in the Tamil verse, he makes it clear that karanam is the seeds, the vasanas. I see. Okay. So, right. so merely replacing one vasana with another vasana is right. replacing our iron chains with golden chains. Right. If you right. try to cultivate, I will have only super vasanas. I'll try and be a good person to to be kind to people, not to get irritated, to give up all my bad habits and have good habits. That is good, no doubt, but it's still yeah. bondage. Yeah. You're replacing your right. iron chains with golden chains, but they're still chains. Yes. Yes. We, yes. Our aim is to give up all vasanas except for one vasana. Yeah. One vasana but we but can save us is what Bhagavan called sat vasana. That is the inclination just to be as we are, to hold on to our being and thereby to be as we are. Yes. Yes. Okay, Michael. Thank you. That's clear. Um, I Just a leading on to samskara. So I don't know the relationship with respect to vasanas as you define the, as the um, seeds. And, you know, are these patterns that I, we I, tend Well, yeah. all these terms, yeah. they, these terms have multiple meanings. Like vasana can mean a, but vasana comes from vasa. Vasa means to dwell or to reside. So a smell is a vasana. In in, in a flower, a certain uh, beautiful aroma dwells in that. It lingers in that. If you, you and I think in to, Tamil it's called vasanai. Yes, vasanai. Vasanai. Yes. Yeah. That is that a the final long vowel in Sanskrit becomes a in Tamil. Tamil. <laughs> like Aruna becomes Arunay. Arunay. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, but it, it means, it, it, so one of the means of Vasana is the smell, because it's right. what lingers there, what resides there. Right. Why Vasanas are called Vasanas is because those inclinations reside there. Okay. And they, the aroma of those uh, Vasanas color our whole life. And Just like if, if you've got karas? a beautiful bunch of roses in a room, the whole right. room is pervaded by that. If you've got whatever vasanas are in the mind, it 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 pervades the whole mind. It 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 uh, like a, a beautiful aroma or a bad smell, whatever it may be. How it yeah. affects uh, uh, the the uh, atmosphere, so the mind is affected. That is the origin of the word vasana. Some and it's an it's an interesting metaphor to smell. I mean, you, you can actually relate to that, yeah, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, as, as you explained, yes. So Why just like there are there are there are good smells and bad smells. There are good, but there are supervasanas and there are supervasanas. Right. 
But whether right. it's and, a good and, smell or bad smell, it's still a smell. And yes, and so what are samskaras, uh, Michael? Samskara, uh, yeah. that, that word samskara comes from a different root. I think samskara means what is well formed um, or something, something like that. So it's like a uh, pattern but, or a habit. Well, but as, as I say, that it, words are used in different sense in different contexts. So samskaras also can mean um, certain uh, uh, rituals and things can be called samskaras. It has, these words have many different meanings, but the, the, the sense in which vasanas is used in Bhagavan's teaching is the Bhagavan generally doesn't talk of use the word samskaras. Okay. Sometimes he, he does if he's asked about them, but we can take it that samskara is a synonym for vasana. Okay. That doesn't mean all the meanings of samskara are also meanings of vasana or vice versa, no. But the sense in which they're used in a spiritual context, it means the same. It means those inclinations. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I think that is clarifying because... But there's a we... lot of confusion about these words. You will find if you look in dictionaries, or if you read books on Vedanta, mm -hmm. both vasanas and samskaras are often explained as being memories or impressions. Right. That right. is not the correct meaning, or that is not the deeper meaning. The deeper meaning, the sense in which it, it the deeper sense in which it's used in Vedanta, is not impressions; it's inclinations. Right, and then they they reside more permanently, right, as mm. part of our. I guess karana sharira or they are specifically within our uh, there is no karana sharira other than vasanas. Vasanas are what okay. constitute the vas. That is the, the karana sharira is what is otherwise called the anandamaya kosha or the chitta. Okay. It is okay. the will. It is the totality of all the vasanas is what makes up the anandamaya kosha or karana sharira. Right, and hence they have a more sort of a permanent existence as compared, you know. Uh, compared to memories, right? Yeah, uh, me memories or, or, belong to uh, Manamaya Kosha. Right. They're superficial. Right. Yes. Okay. Okay. I think that's clear. Um, and, and I guess. But again, if you the... read books on Vedanta, you will often, whether you read English translations or even if you read Sanskrit commentaries, often they explain Chittam as being memory. That is completely okay. a, misinter a misunderstanding. Chittam right. means will, not memory. It is right, the vasanas, right. not the memories that make up the chittam. Right. But because the memories come from the past and the vasanas come from the past, so there's that confusion. Right, right. And and you've explained that very clearly, uh, Michael, in, in your satsang. So yes. I think that is clear. Okay. Yeah, I think in my mind, you know, I was still confused about what some skaras or vasanas were, yes. but I think essentially they are the same. Essentially. And their destruction are, are again turning within, right? Yes. That's the only way to get rid of, uh, yes. uh, destroy them permanently. Yes. Okay. I think I think the term samskara, it is used in Vedanta, but it's it's more commonly used in Buddhism. I but see. I think they in, in Buddhism, when they talk of samskaras, they're talking about much the same that we are talking about when we talk about vasanas. Or when samskaras are talked about in Vedanta, it's a synonym for vasanas. So, um, I don't think we, we we need to consider samskaras separately. We can, and as I say, the term Bhagavan generally used was vasana. Yeah, vasana. 
Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> um, um, okay. So I think, um, Michael, this is another topic that <coughs> I've heard many devotees discuss, and it's also something that I would like to understand a little bit more clearly. And this pertains to just operating uh, in the world, in our, you know, living our daily existence, but with the clear light of Bhagavan's teachings and, <clears throat> and just being able to, you know, deal with, with uh, emotions, feelings, um, and, and, and I, I guess the vasana is where they want to go and constantly striving to to attend to ourselves under all you know circumstances that life yes. throws at us and um i think in i i just wanted to have a, a a deeper discussion about this i don't have a specific question per se but i think this is um you know it, the, the question is again how do you apportion your attention to what you perceive of what must be done, uh, you know, your duty or, or what your mind wants to prioritize in your work or daily activity. And, and, and then, then, and to what extent do you, you know, turn within, um, and I know you, you, you say this, that, and Bhagavan's teaching says this, that this has to be preferably like a continuous activity, no matter what you're doing, because yeah. the body, mind, and, you know, is doing its job and, yeah. and, let it do do that but i'm i'm trying to get a little bit more practical advice on this topic okay um and get a sense of um I, I, and and ask this because i find my peace wavering uh from time to time and there there are periods where i ex i i see you know great sense of you know restfulness and peace and and attributing that and being able to go back and within const you know a lot more and then suddenly just right after that there is a, a lapse right again yeah um and and so it's it's it, it wavers a lot and so i'm trying to see how do i sustain the sadhana and um you know hold on on to that right in a in a more uh i yeah in a in a practical way and as i you know discharge my duties and, and right. you know as as this person that i, I am <laughs> okay so it, okay um what you say applies to all of us it is the nature of the mind to be fickle to waver uh we need not be overly concerned about this we, this is so long as we so long as we must rise as ego we have to live with this because this is the nature of ego um but the key to following Bhagavan's path is bhakti, love. Yeah. As Bhagavan said, bhakti is the mother of jnana. Mm. Our attention naturally goes towards what interests us, what we like. If we're interested in politics, we'll often be following the news and seeing what's happening and uh, and uh, debating with people whether which party is better or who's a better leader and all these things, if, if that's what interests us. If we're interested in football, 
that's the subject that will be occupying our attention. If we're interested in cricket, that will be occupying our attention. If we're interested in philosophy, we'll always be thinking about philosophical problems. If we're interested in science, we'll be wanting to read up about the latest discoveries. And so but the mind naturally goes towards what it interests it. That, that is, our attention is driven by love, by liking. So whatever subject we like, we like to think about that subject. So whatever we may be doing in the day, day, our mind is naturally dwelling on those things that interest us, those things that appeal to us. So we all have certain work to do. That as long as there's a body, but obviously um, to sustain this body, work of some form is required. Even if we are retired, we still need to go to the shops, do shopping, pay the bills, and um, we may have social commitments and so on. So everyone's life has certain uh, commitments, certain things we have to do. But what, whether we are, we 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 may be very very poor, having to work eighteen hours a day to maintain ourselves and our family. But even in the midst of that. Our mind will still be dwelling on the things that interest us, the things we like, the things that concern us. So the, the mind goes towards that which it is concerned about, that which it loves, that which it likes, that which it finds interesting. So our mind will go within to the extent to which we love to know ourselves, to the extent to which we are interested to know ourselves, to the extent to which we are curious to know who am I. To the extent to which um, that's our greatest concern in life. All our problems are caused by not knowing ourselves. So if we really have understood Bhagavan properly, there's nothing that will interest us more than this finding the, the answer to this simple question, who am I? And to find that answer, we can, we're not going to find it in books or by going outward. We can find it only in our own heart. In the book of our, only by reading the book of our own heart, by looking deep within ourselves, can we find the answer to this question. So right. it, it's love is the key. If and, there's love, if there's love, our mind will automatically be going within. If there's a deficiency of love, our mind will be going outwards. So most of us are in the position. We have a little interest, a little liking, a little love to follow this path. But we still have so much concern about the external life, about the world, about uh, our life in this world, and so many things. Um, so we, our aim should be to wean our mind off its interest in all other things and to cultivate interest, passionate love to know who am I. What is the most effective means to do so is by the practice. That is, the love comes to the extent to which we practice it. But practice can be supported by reading about Bhagavan's teachings, thinking about his teachings, keeping our mind dwelling on his teachings, because his teachings are constantly reminding us to look back within. So it's, we, we are not reading Bhagavan's teachings correctly. We are not... We're not doing the sravana correctly or the manana correctly if it doesn't prompt us to turn our mind within. Mm -hmm. So the key to following Bhagavan's path is practice. The key to the, what, what drives the practice is the love. 
how to cultivate the love by practice. So we can't get away from the 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 the, the, the absolute need for love and the need for practice. But the love will drive us to practice and the, the practice will cultivate the love. So right. these two have to go hand in hand. Right, right, right. Yeah, I, I think, um, I mean, like I said, you know, it seems to happen personally for me in, in some sort of, you know, like I said, there are sustained periods where I can I can do this more effectively yeah. and then there seems to be a lapse yeah, yeah. And this is the, I, the nature I, I, of the mind. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Um I understand. But we um, shouldn't that, yeah. we shouldn't yield ourselves to the nature of the mind. We are trying to yield ourselves, surrender ourselves to our real nature, which is ever stable being. So we however much the mind is fickle and takes us outwards, we need to try and bring it back within. Yeah, and so um, whether we're going through a good period or a bad period, we should still be trying to hold on to this practice. So, um, Michael, um, the means of cultivating bhakti um, that seems to be dependent on on our own individual inclinations or personality, right? So, in well, so it could be I, you know, people driven through rituals or, like you said, through shravana, manana, or um and and you know constant studying so um uh, you know do you recommend that this is something that we also investigate as to what is the best way of doing this or it's just just by by just constantly just turning within it will just become evident right the bhakti or the ways to cultivate bhakti will become evident for each person as we are um so okay. Bhakti simply means love, but um, but love not the love we have hope of the world. It it, it implies the love towards God. So first, when bhakti begins growing, it's not even very pure bhakti. That is, when we first begin worshiping God. But if if you go to temples or mosques or churches or synagogues or gurudwaras. But the vast majority of people who go to such places of worship, why are they going there? They are going there, but but they have some faith in God. They have some they 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 believe that by going to these places, by worshiping God according to whatever the rituals of their particular religion may be, this is the way to um this is a means to fulfill their desires and to remove their difficulties. Whether the desires are desires about having a better life here and now, or a better life afterwards. Whether, whatever be our belief about afterlife, um, whether we believe that after death we go to heaven or to hell, or whether we believe that we have to be born again again, whatever our beliefs may be. We all, we want a good life now and a better, and a good life hereafter. That is the, the natural human condition. So we, God becomes, God is a means to an end. We worship God for what we can get from God. And if God doesn't give us what we want, if God gives us difficulties, we get angry. Oh, what's God to do? What wrong have I done? Why God is punishing me? This is the immature state of mind. 
But as we go on, and it's good to, it's better to have to worship God for the fulfillment of desires, but to try and fulfill our desires by, um, by the principle of might is right, by our <laughs> external effort. So it's better. At least we are disciplining ourselves a certain amount. If we go to, um, if we go to a church every Sunday or we go to a, a, temp, a mosque every Friday or a temple every whatever it is. So yeah. all, all it, it's better to try to, if we want to fulfill our desires, it's better to depend on God for the fulfillment of our desires. Because as we, the more we worship God in order to fulfill our desires, the more we will thereby gain, slowly gain the maturity to understand, rather than asking God for this or that, if God is able to give me all these things I want, surely God is greater than, ever, than anything he can give me. So why should I be asking God for, it's like going to a, um, uh, uh, an immensely wealthy person and begging for some trinkets. Rather right. than begging for these trinkets, why don't I I love God for his own sake? So the bhakti gradually matures from being karmiya bhakti to nishkamiya bhakti. And nishkamiya bhakti, in the early stages, when we want to express our love for God, when, when our love becomes for God alone, not for what we can get from God, but from right. God alone, that is nishkamiya bhakti. That is what Bhagavan talks about from verse 3 to verse uh, verse three onwards in um, in Upadesha India, so he says by uh, nishkarmiya karma done for God. That means implies for the love of God. That purifies the mind and shows the way to liberation. How does it show the way to liberation? But to the extent that the mind is purified, it gets the clarity to understand what is the way to liberation. The way to liberation is not doing any karma. Because as he said yes. in the previous verse, kar, uh, vidu tarele, karma does not give liberation. And in Sanskrit, he says, gati uh, um, it obstructs the liberation. So the, karma is not the means. But Karma can be a means to purify the mind. So what are the means by which we can purify the mind? We, they, we, they, what are the actions we can do to purify the mind? The nishkaramiya karmas we can do. We can do actions by body, by speech, and by mind. In this order, they are, they, each one is more efficacious than the previous one. So better than worshipping God by body is to worship him by speech. Better than worshipping by speech is worshipping by mind. That's what Bhagavan says in the fourth verse. Didum we do puja, japamum, dhyanamum, udulbak, udulbak, toril undipara, um, uh, I can't remember the exact word, but each one is better than the previous one. <laughs> and then he goes, he devotes a verse to each one. So in verse 5, um, uh, <laughs> worshipping any form, taking it to be a form of God, that is, God is said to be Ashtamurti. What are the Ashtamurtis? What are, what are the, those eight? It is the five elements, mm -hmm. sun, moon, and 
Sometimes it said Jiva, sometimes it said sacrificial, uh, the priest who does the sacrifice, but whatever mm -hmm. it is, it, it covers everything. Right. So, right. taking anything to be a, a form of God, worshipping appropriately, that, that means you can do ritual worship, or you can, for example, you see a poor person, yeah. a hungry person, you give, taking that person to be God, if you offer them food, that is good worship of God. Right. If you see the in, the damage that is being done by the, to the environment and yeah. uh, how we're causing global warming, trying right. to live a more eco-friendly life with yeah. the attitude that all this world is God, yeah. that is also good worship of God. Right. So, right. Yeah. so Bhagavan gives an extremely broad definition of worship. So anything we do by body with the attitude that it is, but we are doing it for the sake of God, we're doing it for the love of God, is good worship of God. Then he talks... Hence, uh, sorry, right so hence choosing our ways and means to live, for example, right? They can just be all means to worship God, right? Yes, what yes, choices yes. we make so as we, we live. Even simple things in life. How we treat people. Right, right. Yeah. Okay. Even okay. A, even a smile, see, smiling at someone, being saying a kind word to someone, listening to someone patiently if they're telling you about their troubles. These are all. If you do it with the attitude that you're doing this for the love of God, these are all good worship of God. Right. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Michael. Um. So um, uh, then, in the next verse, verse six, he talks about Japa, and he says, rather than hymns of praise. Japa done aloud is good. Rather than Japa done aloud, is Japa yeah, done no. softly within the mouth. Rather than Japa done softly in the mouth, the mental Japa is good. That is a form of dhyana. So he's pointing out the more and more subtle things, Subtler. the more subtle an action, the more effectivities are means of purifying the mind. If it is done without desire, nishkarmiya, and for the love of God. Right, and I guess the and, subtlest is turning within. Right? Wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't, don't jump the hood. We haven't done meditation okay. yet. The next one he talks about meditation. Verse 7 he talks about meditation. And he says, rather than the interrupted meditation, the uninterrupted meditation is good. Right. Right. Why is that? Because if you sit down to meditate on God, yeah. to, to meditate on either a name or form of God, if you start thinking about other things, how am I going to pay the bills? Uh, what am I going to do when I go to office tomorrow? If, you, if other thoughts come and occupy your mind, yeah. that means you have more concern about those other things than you have love for God. Right. If you have love for God, then your meditation on God will be uninterrupted. So right. the, 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 more unin the more our mind is fixed on God, we, we, and it's fixed on love as a result, on God as a result of love, but more efficacious it is in purifying the mind. So right. up to verse 7, he's talking about nishkarmiya karma. Mm -hmm. in verse 8 is where he turns from nishkarmiya karma to turning within and just being as we are. What he says in verse 8 is, rather than anya bhava, anya mm -hmm. bhava here, anya means what is other, and you bother me in this context means meditating on God as something other than ourselves. Ananya Baba me. Ananya Baba 
the, the meditation on him as not other than ourself, mm. with the understanding that he is I. Right. A nation That is the best of the all. Best. Yeah. What does he mean, best of all? Firstly, it is the most, it's the best way of worshipping God. Okay. So it's the best. It's the best form of bhakti. It is the. It is the most efficacious means to purify the mind. So all the spiritual sadhanas we could do, meditating on ourself, with the understanding that God is that which is shining in our heart as ourself, as our, as I. That is the the best of all. And what okay. happens as a result of that turning the mind within to meditate on ourself? Baba Balatinal, Baba Natita, Sababa Terutale Undipara, Parabakti Tatava Mundipara. That is, by the strength of that Baba, that means the Ananya Baba, the self attentiveness, by the strength of that self attentiveness, being in a Sat Baba, the state of being, that is Baba Natita. Their bhavana means meditation in the form of mental activity. That is, attending to anything other than ourselves is a mental activity. So if you're meditating on God as a name and form, that is yeah. bhavana in that sense. Right. When you meditate on yourself and thereby be as you are, that is, mm -hmm. as a result of meditating on ourself, the ego would, had, was formally rising to meditate on God, subsides back it within and remains right. in the state of being, that is transcending bhavana. That goes beyond the bhavana, beyond the right. mental activity. And that, Bhagavan says, is parabhakti tattva. That is the, the true supreme devotion. So just being as we are, as a result of self-attentiveness, is parabhakti. That is very clear, uh, Michael. Thank you. Well, and, thanks, Bhagavan. Bhagavan has put it so clearly in Upadesha India. Yes. So people say, oh, Bhagavan has approved all spiritual paths. But see, in Upadesha India, he mentioned Puja, Japa, and Dhyana. Yes, he mentioned right. them all, but he puts them all in context. And he talks about the relative efficacy of these. Best of all is Ananya Baba, because only by Ananya Baba can we remain in our state of being. And that alone, that state in which we subside in our state of being, Udit, in verse 10, he summarizes the whole thing. Udita idyatil odungi iratal. Subsiding and being in the place from which we rose, that is karma and bhakti, that is yoga and jnana. Right. Yes, and um, uh, also as a practitioner, you know, it's 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 best to to find out for oneself what what is the path to get before you do the full meditating yes. on the self, right? So you don't recommend doing the meditation on you know with the ananya bhava as sort of like the beginner step, right? As in, so do you recommend um, that one must go through or? pick these multiple stages and then the eventually very, do that? or The very fact that we've been drawn to Bhagavan's path and we're attracted to Bhagavan's path means we've already been through all these other stages. We don't have to go back now. Um, no, my, my, my question really as, as, as a sadhana, Michael, which means... Yes. 
so so if i consider myself to say a beginner right um i then should i focus more on doing like the japa you know with in a mental japa or the the bhava you know meditation right on uh, it, mentally or the ananya bhava which is just you know being as you are right so do you recommend that or uh, bhagavan I'm, said i'm trying to f- bhagavan said even a little effort made towards self attentiveness is worth crores of efforts made in any other path this is so okay. much more effective even even if we're only able to be self attentive for a few moments here and there throughout the day that is of far greater value than hours and hours and hours spent doing japa or dhyana or anything else okay this is okay. this is the supremely efficacious part that that bhagavan put it so strongly when he says anatinam uttamam it is the best among all Okay so and you don't have to qualify any effort doing other things right. okay why not whatever effort we 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 can put into doing sadhana why not put that effort into trying to turn within right and and that can be done right for a beginner that's what i'm trying to yes to yes understand. we don't you don't have to progress to that stage no no uh, no right, the right. very okay. fact that we are attracted to bhagavan's teaching the very fact that we are now talking about this or if okay. people watch this on on youtube afterwards when we put it on youtube if the very fact that they're watching this means they already have an interest in this Right. If they weren't interested in this, they'd be watching other videos on on Japa or Puja or whatever it is. The sure. very fact that they are drawn to watch videos that are talking about Bhagavan's teachings, right. or the very fact that we like to read Bhagavan's teachings, the very fact that we are attracted to Bhagavan, all that shows we've already been through all these things. Okay. If we hadn't okay. been through all these things, we wouldn't be so so strongly sure. attracted to Bhagavan. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> um all right Michael, I just Can want I to Can I just say that's... one more thing because you Please. were you part of this question was um operating in the world with wisdom yes. and peace in the light of Bhagavan's yes. teaching. So yes. uh, regarding operating in the world. This is a very simple matter. Bhagavan has told us whatever is to happen in our life is already predetermined. that is our out the outer course of our life everything that we are everything that is to happen to us everything we are to experience is determined by prarabdha that doesn't mean as some people wrongly infer but all our actions are therefore according to prarabdha that is not the case some of our actions are according to prarabdha right. because in order to experience what we are destined to experience some role is to be played by our mind speech and body mm-hmm. so an, an example i often give if you're destined to be a a doctor yeah in order to be a doctor you have to study and you have to pass the exams and everything so yeah. you will be made to do those actions but just because actions are actions we are made to do in order in accordance with prarabdha doesn't mean that it is not agamya Mm-hmm. If, because most of the actions we do even those actions we made to do if if we're studying hard to become a doctor it's highly unlikely but we would study hard to become a doctor without any liking to become a doctor right 
We may, why we want to become a doctor, it may vary from person to person. Some people may want to become doctors because they think it's a good way of serving humanity, of doing good to other people. So they, because they, they like the idea of a caring profession, a profession where they can help people. That's the reason why some people want to become doctors. Other people become, want to become doctors because it's a prestigious uh, profession. If you're a doctor, you've got a certain status in society. It's also, a, um, you can earn a lot of money as a doctor. So people may have different reasons, but almost everyone who studies to become a doctor does so because they, they have some desire to become a doctor. So like that, many of the actions we do in life, that's a big thing. That is becoming a doctor. Obviously, that's a a major thing in one's life, but Mm -hmm. it's down to the smallest thing. If it's your destiny to eat a tasty meal today, mm-hmm. you may have to cook it yourself, or at least you, or you had to go to a restaurant and uh, sit down and order it, or you, even if someone serves it to you, you still have to put it in your mouth. So there are actions we have to do to experience even the smallest uh, um, things in our prarabdha. That's why when Devaraja Mudliya asked Bhagavan, Bhagavan, if I is my picking up the fan and fanning myself is even that yeah. according to Prarabh? Bhagavan said yes. Why? Because fanning yourself is an your experience. Why do we fan ourselves to experience yeah. a cool breeze? If it was not our destiny to experience that cool breeze, we couldn't pick up yeah. that fan. We may want to, but something would obstruct us. We pick up right. the fan and it would break or something. Something would prevent us. So. So many of our actions, probably you can say the majority of our actions are to some extent or other driven by prarabdha. But the including the desire to 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 be attracted to Bhagavan's teachings and and to want to persevere, right? I mean that too is part of prarabdha. Um, I know that it, it's our prarabdha to being brought to Bhagavan's path. But okay. our liking to follow Bhagavan's path, that is that is not prarabdha. Likes and dislikes are not according to prarabdha. Right. Prarabdha, primarily prarabdha, it's the fruit of past actions. The fruit means it's what we have to experience. Right. So the actions we do in order to experience, those actions are not prarabdha. As Bhagavan says, avarabha prarabdha prakaram, prakaram. In accordance with the prarabdha, Adakarnavan, God, Angangirindu, being there, there, that means being in the heart of each one of them, Artavipam will make them act. So it's not Prarabdha that is making us act, it is God who is making us act in accordance with our Prarabdha. So so, the Prarabdha is just what we experience. But our Uh, likes and dislikes, our will, that is entirely separate. That is the, 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 the will is mati. The, the prarabdha is vidi. Vidi and mati. They're two yeah. distinct things. So destiny versus uh, yeah. our will, right? Yeah. 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 So <laughs> how we use our will determines the actions we do. Yeah. That is, though many actions are done in accordance with prarabdha, with our actions are also being driven by our vasanas. Right. So the actions we do under the sway of our vasanas are agamya. Right. right. Those agamya are the actions that bear fruit. The, right. the fruit gets stored in sanchitta, and from right. from which Bhagavan then selects 
which fruit are appropriate for us to experience in each lifetime. Yeah. That's prarabdhas. Yeah. That's prarabdha, exactly. Right, right. So right. The, our life is entirely uh, that everything that we are to experience, everything that is to happen to us in this life is determined by prarabdha. So if we are to be married and to have children, it will happen. It's already predetermined. And if we are to work and to um, earn a living and, um, uh, and provide for our family, that's already predetermined. We, the truth is, we do not need to give an iota of attention to any of these things because they're already determined according to Prarabdha. That's why Bhagavan says in the, in the 13th paragraph of Nana, when that one Parameshwara Shakti, that supreme power, ruling power of God, is driving all Kariyas. Kariyas there means everything that is meant to happen, everything that ought to happen, everything we're meant to do, everything we ought to right. do. Yeah. It's all being driven by him. So, the, he said, when that one Parameshwara Shakti is driving all Kariyas, why should we, <coughs> instead of yielding ourselves to it, be constantly thinking it's necessary to do like this, it's necessary to do like that. The implication is that we do not need to think about these things at all. Because how he started that paragraph, in the first sentence he says, Anma chintane tavira, vera chintane kalambavitaku, satram idum kodamal, apmanishta paranai iripade, tanai isanaku alipadam. That is, being Abhmanishtaparan, one who is firmly established as oneself. How to be firmly established as oneself? He, he is uh, not giving even the slightest room to the rising of any thought other than Abhmachintana. Abhmachintana means self-attentiveness. So, in other words, what he, Bhagavan implies there is being so keenly self-attentive but we thereby give no room to the rising of other thoughts. That is, if we are so keenly self-attentive, that, that is what he refers to in verse 9 of Upadesh Undia, Baba Balatina, by the strength of that self-attentiveness, being in the state of, uh, in Sat Baba, the state of being, which transcends Bhavana, transcends mental activity. So, to the extent to which we are self-attentive, we are thereby giving no room to the rising of other thoughts, and thereby we are remaining firmly established in ourselves. And that is Tanay Yusanuku Alipadam. That is giving ourselves to God. So the implication of the first sentence is we sh if we want to give ourselves to God, we need to be so keenly self-attentive we don't give room to rising of any other thoughts. But how can I that be? I've got so much responsibility. I've got I've got uh, a husband or a wife, and I've got 10 children, I've, I'm a breadwinner, I've got to earn, I've got to pay the bills, I've got this, I've got that. How can I um, remain without thinking of anything? Bhagavan answers that uh, doubt in the next sentence. However much burden is placed on God, he will bear, bear all of it. In the context, it implies even the burden of thinking about all these things, leave that burden to him. He will take care of all these things. Then he says, when that one Parameshwara Shakti is driving all Kariyas, why should we, instead of yielding ourselves to it, be constantly thinking it's necessary to do like this, it's necessary to do like that? In other words, Bhagavan is telling us, even the burden of thinking, 
Give it to God. Give it to he will take care of everything. That's why he concludes by giving that beautiful analogy, <laughs> just like the passenger drive traveling on a train. When we're traveling on a train, we know the train is carrying all the burden. So why should we carry our luggage on our head? It is. It is a very, very simple, beautiful, and very effective analogy. And yes. it also brings a smile on your face. You know, when yes. you think and, about it, and you, and you, you immediately realize that. Yeah. Right? And, and if we carefully observe the words Bhagavan there uses there, he says, Kashtabada, ain't Kashtabada Vendam. Why should we suffer carrying burden on our head instead of Sukhamai, happily, yeah. peacefully, calmly, comfortably? Enjoying the side and traveling. So, the right. more we surrender, all thought about the world, all thought about our love to God, all thought about our life to God, the happier we will be. So, the truth is, all we need to do is to attend to ourselves. If we attend to ourselves, everything else will be taken care of by grace. He has given us that assurance. Clearly, he implies that there. So if we think, oh, yes, okay, I'll surrender myself a little, but I still I need to think about this, still I need to think about that, it's okay. It's good to surrender as much as we can, but the surrender is not complete until we think about nothing else other than our own being, other than Atma Chintana. There should be no other thought at all. In other words, our mind should be wholly turned within and merged at his feet. Right. That and, is and that surrender. That is vichara, right? And, and that too is not really a thought. It's just it's just yes. being. It's right? it, it, so it, it metaphorically because right. the attention we direct to anything other than ourselves is a thought. Right. So metaphorically, right. Bhagavan refers to the attention to ourselves as right. apmachintana. Right. A couple of paragraphs earlier, a few paragraphs earlier, he referred. He described it as swarupa dhyana. Meditation on oneself. Meditation means thinking, but it's not thinking. It is just yeah, attending sure. to ourselves and thereby being as we are. Right, right. right. Yeah, it's a metaphorical way of saying it. Just yeah. like in the sixth it, paragraph, he says, um, uh, uh, just like the stick used for stirring the funeral pyre, the thought, who am I, destroying all other thoughts, will in the end be destroyed. What he means there by the thought, who am I? People think you have to go on thinking, who am I, who am I, who am I? That's right, not it's not. It's a metaphorical way of saying sure. self-attentiveness. But right. thought to our mind means attending to ourselves to see who we actually are. Right, right. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Michael, um, do you have time for one more question? Oh, or? yes, certainly. Okay, and this kind of um, goes back to the first question I asked about the you know ego in the world yeah. in the context of awakening. Yeah. But um, <clears throat> I, I kind of wanted to understand that in the sense of the term pralaya, which which is often used in you know texts, yeah. uh, right, ancient texts, and and again the concept of cycles or yuga, and then the dissolution in pralaya, and are these mental states? Uh, and I mean, this is I'm just trying to understand. Yeah. Okay. How does uh, this fall in the context of Bhagavan's teachings? Did he have Okay. But firstly, there religions give different teachings at different levels to suit people at different levels of spiritual development. So 
these talk about the four yugas and everything, it is not, these are not the deepest teachings. Uh, they, these are, these, these are more suited to people at earlier stages of the spiritual path. However, we can, we can give a more spiritual interpretation to these. I mean, they can be interpreted. The, the interpretation I will give now is not the only interpretation. Other people may interpret it differently, and their interpretation will be perfectly valid from their perspective. But from the perspective of Bhagavan's teachings, um, I can't remember what the four yugas are. It begins with Satya Yuga, and uh, uh, and then the, the, that it begins from the very best yuga, where everyone is righteous and it, it's a sort of heavenly world. And then the next Treta yuga, yuga. Treta, and now okay. we're in Kali Yuga, Treta. the worst of all. Yeah, yeah. I would Apparently. suggest this is just when when I read your question, this idea came to me. That is when we when our minds are strongly outward going, we believe that we can get the pleasure we the happiness we are seeking from the world. Mm-hmm. So the world see we, we may not get it. But we see the prospect in the world. We think the world is a place full of so much potential uh, pleasure. So it all looks very rosy mm-hmm. when we are in an immature state of mind. As our mind becomes more and more um, pure, we recognize the defective nature of the world. But yes, we do get a little pleasure here and there. But that pleasure is mixed up with so much pain. So this, we may start off with a very rosy picture of life. Mm-hmm. It, it's true. Even as a child, we can see it in our own life. Probably when we're a children, it, I mean, children have different experiences. But supposing we 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 are we are born in a in a in a happy family, a family that has uh, that has got material security. And loving parents and everything, we mm-hmm. probably start off life with a uh, with a fairly rosy picture of life. We we uh, uh, through the innocent eyes of a ch- child, life may look very bright. But mm-hmm. as we grow up, we begin to as we become teenagers, we begin to face so many difficulties: difficulties at school, difficulties within ourselves, our own emotions and things, and. Um, then, as we then we, when we grow up and we are in our twenties and thirties, we having we got all the pressures of firstly of studying and then of working and all these things. So, and as we get older, we look back on life how quickly it's all rushed past, right. and all the the, the 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 rosy pictures we may have started off with, we've yeah. now got a far more realistic picture of life. So it's a bit like that. In the same way with our spiritual development, when we are immature, we may think that there's so much prospect of happiness in this world. If I can amass wealth, I'll be happy. If I can become very powerful, if I can become president of the United States or um, or if I can be a king or an emperor or dictator or whatever, then I'll be happy. Or if I become become a Jeff Bezos or um, <laughs> uh, uh, Elon Musk and have billions, hundreds of billions of dollars, I'll be happy. So we may, the immature mind will will believe that there's happiness out there in the world. It won't actually get it, but it will believe it. Even when it, even when you get, even when you become president of the United States, even when you have a billion dollars or a hundred billion dollars or whatever, you're still not going to be satisfied. But 
but the mind is under the illusion that happiness lies out there. I can get it. So that that is perhaps depicted by Satya Yuga. Mm-hmm. As we mature, we begin to understand happiness doesn't lie in all these things. So the world looks a little less rosy. And as we get more and more mature, we see more and more the shortcomings of life. But life doesn't seem so beautiful. The external life doesn't seem so beautiful. So that's when we begin to turn within more. So we, one possible interpretation is that that, that those four yugas are talking about the progressive stages of the maturing of the mind where our mm-hmm. outlook on the external world changes. The external world no longer looks a place of, um, Offering us unlimited pleasure. We know that whatever little pleasure we get from this world is very limited, very fleeting, very unsatisfactory. <laughs> so we begin to go deeper and deeper within. That's one way of interpreting it. So they are really mental states in some sense. We, right? we I mean, can say, yes, yes, we, yes we can say. But there may be other perfectly valid ways of interpreting it because these are, uh, or some people may take it literally true. One time we made, it was all a wonderful Garden of Eden. Um, yeah. everything and what's interesting? Uh, the, I mean, uh, it's there in all religions in one form or another, the fall of man. Right, Michael, but you know, what's interesting is also the role of time, right? How how it is delineated in, in, in these yugas and, you know, to the precision yes. of 26,000 years or whatever. Yes, yes, you know, yes, yes. And, and it's, it's, it's always interesting and curious to see how where did this come from, right? This kind of yes, breaking yes. it down and it, uh, yes. into this type of linear time. And, yes. and, you know, there's a sense of um, despair when you hear, like, we've just only entered the Kali Yuga, right? I mean, yes. um, of course, like, as you say, you don't have yeah. to pay attention to that, you know, if you, yes. if you... But, you know, I was just curious about that and yes, wondering yes. why is there there's so much... Um, detail and attention given yeah, to that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So if this is just quantifying the of that. Kali Yuga and it's going to get right. progressively worse, you can imagine right. how bad it's going to get. So better and, we get out of this soon. <laughs> and and it's it's glad that we have uh, you know a way you know to to deal with that despair, right? Um, yes, and, yes, and, yes. And have a, a path to through Bhagavan's teachings. Yes. So okay. And uh, okay. So that and and uh, regarding pralaya, right? Pralaya is. The world, as Bhagavan says, if ego comes into existence, everything comes into existence. If ego doesn't exist, everything doesn't exist. So pralaya ultimately means the dissolution of ego. Destruction of ego, right, yeah. That That is why Shiva is the killer. Shiva in the form of Aranachala, in the form of Aranachala Ramana, the sole purpose of Aranachala, the sole purpose of, of Bhagavan Ramana, is that annihilation of ego? Because only by annihilation of ego can you bring about the, the yeah. ultimate pralaya. Pralaya, right. Yeah. Makes sense, yeah. All right. Thank you, Michael. Um, I want to thank you again and I'm grateful for your time and um, you know, helping me deepen my understanding in the context of these questions. So Yeah. Well, it's all it's not I'm not doing anything. This is all Bhagavan. Bhagavan has given us these things. And even some ideas, like this idea about the prale- about these yugas. I just got the idea before we had this meeting. I thought I should just read through your questions, 
And then that idea occurred to me. So where did that idea come from? It can come only from Bhagavan. So um, when we see through the eyes of Bhagavan's teachings, we can he, he will give us so many ideas how to explain these things. Right. And, and to also, you know, kind of turn our mind in curiosity yes. as well in, in attending to that, right? right. Yes. And, and yes. seeking yes. solace in the teaching yes. as opposed to giving into the despair that you're constantly, uh, you know. Yeah, if we look, look outwards, outside, things are pretty, it is, pretty bleak. Yes, <laughs> it is. It is so, yeah. Because there's one thing, if we look outwards, we have a body. And yeah. there's one thing that is absolutely sure. One thing that he, the one certainty in this life is death. Right. If we are born, we're going to die. So yeah. it's pretty bleak if we look outwards. But if we look within, what we actually are is an infinite ocean, infinite space of pure happiness, pure love. Right. So but it's better to look note, within than to look outside. <laughs> so that's a wonderful and wonderful note to end this conversation. Right. Thank you, Michael. Thank you very much. Om Namo Bhagavate. Om Namo Bhagavate. Thank you. Thank you.